I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. It's good to be with you. I thank you for the privilege of coming and just speaking God's Word. If you were with us during the Sunday School Hour, we talked about an enemy who wants to lure us across the sin line, who wants to lead us to be rebellious toward God. And I want us to recognize that for all of us in our lives, we far too often give in to the enemy. We far too often chase the ways of the world. We far too often go after the temporary, not the eternal. And in this service, I want us to think about one of the reasons that happens. Why do we so easily give in when the enemy attacks us? And I think one reason is this, is we're no longer amazed by Jesus. I think sometimes we buy the enemy's lies because we have reduced Jesus to the norm. We're talking about prayer and spiritual warfare. Here's my goal as we look at this word in Mark chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 21 in just a minute. My goal is this. At the end of the service... All of us run to Jesus. All of us run to Jesus. In prayer, in commitment, in repentance, in love. And we stand against the enemy by running to the Redeemer. You with me there? So, I want us to pick up in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. There are two stories in the end of this chapter that are interwoven, they are interconnected, two lives that, that intersect. And I want us to look at these two stories together and then look at who this Jesus is. Verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, <clears throat> excuse me, while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is what? Tell me. Dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And instantly her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Now pause there and get the picture. There's a first story in this text of a father whose daughter is dying. We will learn. <clears throat> Thank you. We will learn that she is 12 years old. She's at the point of death. And this desperate father 
has come to Jesus, says, please come touch my daughter so that she will get well and live. He apparently believes that Jesus can do something for his daughter if he gets there in time. Jesus agrees to go, and the crowd makes their way toward the home of Jairus. Then there is this woman with a blood disease who interrupts the story. Jesus heals her. Then we go to verse 35, same chapter, the first story picks up again. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is what? Dead. Dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now, she had died. When he says she's asleep, his point is this story is not over. There's more to the story still to come. Watch what they do then in verse 40. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now there's our text. Let's look at this text together. Hope you've got a pen, you've got a pencil. You can type in your phone if you wish. I want, us to, I want us to learn about Jesus here. I want us to be amazed by Jesus. I want us to run to Jesus. So here's point number one. From these two intersecting stories, we learn this. Jesus is still the answer. Jesus is still the answer. Now, I want you to see this story with me. I want you to get into the story with me. So I first introduce you to a woman. We don't know her name. We know nothing about her family. We don't know a lot about her history, but we do know this. For 12 years, she has suffered from a blood disease. It's likely some kind of female problem, likely a menstrual problem. It may well have made her infertile, a desperate state for a first century woman. And we know this, she has gone to all the doctors and she has spent all of her money and she is not better, she is in fact what? Worse. So I envision this woman, I envision the sun coming up one morning and she thinks, well, maybe today this doctor has an answer. She goes to that doctor, she spends her dollars and he has no cure. The next day, same deal. She awakens, maybe, just maybe, finally, I'll be made well, and she goes to that doctor, and he has no answer. The next day, another doctor. The next day, another doctor. The next week, more doctors. The next month, more doctors. The next years, more doctors. For 12 years, she has gone to all the doctors, she has spent all of her money, and she is only worse. And surely... Surely her life this day is one filled with despair and discouragement and depression. Surely she must have wondered that day, why should today be any different? Do you know anybody like this woman today? 
Do you know anybody who got up this morning and their hope is gone? Do you know anybody who just keeps making mess after mess after mess? They keep turning in the wrong directions to fix the problems and it just keeps getting worse. Do you know anybody like that? Let me just say to you, if you don't know anybody like that today, you don't know enough people because they're all over this county. They're all over this state, all over our continent, all over the nations. People who got up this morning and they had no hope. And for this woman, you got to wonder why should today be any different? And yet the text tells us why her world is about to change. Look with me at verse 27. Mark chapter 5, verse 27. Having heard about whom? Tell me. Jesus. Now let's think about that. If she heard about Jesus, that means somebody must have been doing what? Talking about him. Somebody had to be talking about him. We don't know who it was. We don't know what she heard. Maybe somebody said, I've heard Jesus is coming through your town. And, and here's, here's what I've heard. I've heard that he can, he can give sight to the blind and, and hearing to the deaf. And he can give legs to the lame. And I, I've even heard he can raise the dead. And you've got to get to him. Whoever it was told her, you've got to get to Jesus. And she made her way there. And she worked her way through the crowd and touched just the hem of his garment. And instantaneously, she was made well. Why'd she find hope? Because somebody told her about Jesus. I think about J. Iris. His daughter lay dying. I have to assume that he did for his daughter everything that this woman did for herself. Surely he went to all the doctors. Surely he spent all of his money because that's what daddies do when their daughters are sick. I I envision the day when he first held that baby daughter in his arms and just looked in her eyes and thanked God for her life. And I think about the day when he worked day after day after day to put food on the the table to take care of his family. And I, I can envision the day when he began to pace the floor back and forth because she just kept getting sicker and sicker. And I can see in my mind the day when he figured out that even daddy couldn't fix it this time. And where did he turn? To Jesus. Why? He must have heard about him. Aren't you glad somebody told you something about Jesus? Where did this woman turn? To Jesus. Where did J. Iris turn? To Jesus. And I don't want us to miss this point. They find their answer in Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, I don't know what you're facing in life. I don't know what you're going to face in life. But I can tell you this. You can read every book you want to read about it. You can talk to anybody you want to talk to. You can do any Google search you want to do. But at the end of the day, whatever you're facing, Jesus is still the answer. Jesus is still the answer. And we must be amazed by that. Here's point number two. We must believe... That Jesus is working even when we cannot see his hand. We must believe that Jesus is working even when we cannot see his hand. Now again, see this story with me. Jesus is, is with this crowd twice, the text tells us, that there's a large crowd around him. They are crushing up against him. Pressing up against him. 
Somehow, Jairus, in his desperation, gets to Jesus, and he falls at his feet and says, please come touch my daughter so that she will get well and live. And they begin to go. Jesus agrees to go. And again, see it with me. This crowd making their way toward the home of Jairus. Surely Jairus is leading the way because it's his daughter who's dying. Surely he wants this crowd moving quickly. And away they go. Jairus perhaps having some renewed hope that Jesus is coming with them. And then there is this divine interruption. This woman with a blood disease. She touches his garment and Jesus stops the parade and says, Who, who touched me? And he drew her out. And he had a conversation with her. And ultimately, he forgave her sins and made her well. But tell me something. When Jesus is talking to this woman, if you're Jairus, are you getting a little antsy? I would think so. Why? Because your daughter is dying. I can, I can just see Jairus hollering at Jesus, would you get a move on? My daughter's dying. You said you would come, and now you stopped, and you're ministering to an unclean woman. My daughter is dying. In fact, what do we learn? While Jesus is still speaking to this woman, word comes from the home of Jairus, your daughter is dead. You don't need to trouble this teacher anymore. Now, don't miss that. Jairus, the folks around, they had a sense that Jesus could do something if he got there in time. He didn't get there in time. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. For them, the story's over. But look at what Jesus said. Look at verse 36. When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Only do what? Believe. Only believe. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Now, why would, why would Jesus say that to Jairus? Here's why. Because Jesus knew what Jairus could not know. Jesus knew that though this story now had an ending, it was about to have a new beginning. He knew that though this story was now tragic, it was about to be joyous. He knew that though this story was now death, it was about to become life again. And here's what Jesus knew. God was still up to something, even though Jairus could not know what it was. And you and I, when we turn to Jesus as the answer, we must trust and believe that he's working in our lives even when we cannot see his hand. Let me give you a personal story of how I, how I learned this. I have a younger brother in Ohio. We grew up outside of Cincinnati. I adore my younger brother. But for years, he and I were going in two different directions. I was pastoring a church in, in Ohio, and he was strung out on alcohol and drugs. And it felt like the more we prayed for him, the worse it got. You ever been there? Some of you might be there this morning. You've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying, and... It just seems worse. And that's where we were. In fact, I was, I was certain 
that my brother would never change. I'd given up on him. I'd come pretty close to giving up on God. To my surprise, one Sunday morning, I was, there was a little pew here for the pastor. I was in that pew. To my, to my great surprise, in the door to our church came my brother and his wife and my niece. They came all the way to the second row, and nobody sat in the second row in our church. <laughs> Unless God was already doing something in your life. You just didn't do that. They came up there. I preached. All the while, I'm thinking, what in the world are they doing here? The end of the, the preaching time, we had a time of response we began to play, our instrumentalist did, before we ever sang a word, my brother, his wife, and my niece came out and said, we want to follow Jesus. You know what God did? He transformed my younger brother almost overnight. Today, he's a church planter on a pastoral staff in, in Ohio. It's amazing what God did. Well, I talked to him after the service. I said, I'm, I'm telling you what, I really had given up on you, and I was close to giving up on God. So how'd you get here? He began to tell us all the things, all the things that happened, people crossing his path, things they had read, all kinds of things that directed him back to God. And I learned that all the while I was giving up, God was up to something. And here's what I learned that was most important to me that day. God taught me something that day, and that is this. When God is doing his work, he is under no obligation to let us in on the details. True? Why not? You know why he's not obligated to do that? Because he's God and we're not. Amen. It's really that simple. We, we come to Jesus as the answer and we trust Jesus even when we cannot see his hand. Let me tell you just the rest of the story. My, my younger brother and I started praying then for our parents. We prayed for my dad for 36 years and my dad became a believer at age 71. Uh, it was amazing. God so radically changed my dad, he was just weird the last three years of his life. He was, so, he was so different, we didn't know what to do with him. We kept praying. We kept praying for my mom. We prayed 47 years for my mom. And just a couple years ago now, at age 79, my mom turned to Christ, and I had the privilege of baptizing her. Both my dad and my mom became believers, not in church. They were wherever they were, at their home in different places, and they called us and said, we want to follow we want to follow Jesus. God was doing something, even when we wondered what he was doing. I challenge you this morning, if you're this close to giving up, you run back to Jesus. Don't give up. Believe that Jesus works, even when we cannot see his hand. Here's point number three. We must believe that when Jesus works, nothing gets in his way. We must believe that when Jesus works, nothing gets in his way. Now, now, once again, I want you to see the story with me. There are two crowds here in this story. First, there's this crowd that's, that's pressing up against Jesus. They've all come to hear him. They're all hanging out with him. That crowd begins to make their way toward the home of Jairus. And here in the midst of all that is this hurting woman, desperate, defeated, discouraged, hoping beyond hope that Jesus can do something. And she somehow gets her way through the crowd. She breaks all the social mores of the day. And she touches the rabbi. And instantaneously, Jesus does what no other doctor could do. He made her well. And he says, who touched me? Not because he didn't know, but because he's drawing her out. 
His disciples say, Master, look around. Everybody's touching you. How can we tell you who touched you? In essence, his disciples say, that's a, that's a silly question. But here's what I want you to see. All kinds of people pressing up against Jesus. There is one woman who reaches out to him in faith, and he does not miss her touch. Here's why that matters to me today. All around the world today, there are believers praying to God. All kinds of voices lifted to the heavens. All kinds of needs taken to the throne of God. Language after language after language, from place after place after place. And you know what? There could be, there could be so many prayers lifted to God, even right now. But when you and I cry out to Jesus, we cry out to the Father. We reach out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Our Lord hears our prayer. He hears our cry as if we were the only ones reaching out to him right then. And that's a good, good God. There's no crowd gets in our God's way. Jesus felt the touch of this woman. Well, then they get to the home of Jairus, and there's a crowd there too. You may know that in the, in the first century, it was customary to hire professional mourners. There were people who made their living going from funeral to funeral to funeral, crying. It was their job. The more important you were, the more mourners you would hire. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. So he has all kinds of folks there. When Jesus gets there, the daughter is dead. What are the people doing? They are carrying on. They're making commotion, weeping and wailing loudly. They're earning their paycheck. And Jesus says, why are you carrying on like this? This story is not over. You remember what they did? They laughed at him. That's a really dumb thing to do, <laughs> to laugh at the Son of God. Because the next text says, he put them all outside. I love that phrase because in the original Greek language, the word translated put them out is the exact same word in this gospel for exorcism. Jesus casts them out. In essence, he said, you all get out of my way. I've got work to do because nothing gets in our God's way. No crowd gets in our God's way. Do a quick Bible survey with me. Go back with me to the Red Sea. God had brought his people there. The sea is in front of them. The Egyptian army is pursuing them. They can see the enemy coming after them. Was that a problem for God? No, God just rolled the waters back and let his people across on dry ground, collapsed those waters on the Egyptians. Nothing gets in our God's way. Go with me to the walled city of Jericho. It is so fortified, nobody will go in, nobody coming out. Was that a problem for God? Now God said, here's the deal. Walk around like I tell you, and the walls will come down. And down they came because nothing gets in our God's way. Go with me to a valley where a Philistine giant named Goliath is taunting the armies of the living God. Nobody will fight him. Was he a problem for God? No, God raised up a shepherd boy and gave him a rock and a sling. And he took down the giant because no giant gets in our God's way. Or go with me to a lion's den where the prophet is, placed there by the king. Was that a problem for God? No. You know what? God made the lions. 
So he just clamped their jaws shut. Nothing gets in our God's way. Then go forward with me then to a borrowed tomb outside the walled city of Jerusalem. The Son of God, crucified, buried. The end has come, the demons rejoice. Was that a problem for God? Nah, it's the center of our gospel. God rolled the rock away to show us that his son was alive and well because even death doesn't get in the way of our God. Nothing gets in the way of our God. Now, why does, why does that matter? Because you see, I don't know. I don't know what mountain you're climbing. I don't know what valley you're going through. I don't know what you might be unexpectedly facing in the days to come. I don't know any of that, but this I do know. Our God is bigger Our God is bigger than anything you are facing or will face. Our problem is this. We get more focused on the circumstances than we do on the God who is bigger than the circumstances. And I want you, I want you this morning, if you're struggling with life, I want you to come to Jesus and I want you to see him working and I want you to believe with me that he's bigger than anything that you are up against. And then here's number four. We can trust Jesus to meet our needs. We can trust Jesus to meet our needs. Look with me at verse 43, the end of this chapter. Jesus has raised this little girl from the dead, and we read this. Then he gave them strict orders that No one should know about this because they are now in Jewish territory where the Jews are not fully understanding of what kind of Messiah would come. So Jesus says, this is not the time to go tell. By the way, what do you think they all did anyway? They went and told everybody because how do you not when your daughter is dead and now she's alive? But look at how this story ends. And he told them to give her something to eat. Now again, get it. One more time into the story with me. This little girl has been dead. Now she's up, she's walking around. I can see family members, hands in the air, just praising the Lord. Maybe some have their their arms around the legs of Jesus in gratitude. Surely some are weeping with great joy. There is a celebration going on, and in the midst of this, Jesus says, feed the girl. And that's how the story ends, which seems odd. But why would Jesus say, give her something to eat? I think there are two reasons. First, when he says, give her something to eat, he is saying, this girl walking in your midst, she is not a ghost. She's not a figment of your imagination. This is not your grief so overwhelming you that you're seeing things that aren't there. This is your daughter in her physical body. I have given her life again. And in her physical body, she needs food. She needs nourishment. So feed her. When Jesus says, give her something to eat, he's validating the miracle. But there's another reason why Jesus said, give her something to eat. Let's just think logically about it. If Jesus had given her something to eat, he must have known that she was what? Hungry. He knew she was hungry. Now just pause there for a minute and think about that. Who is is this Jesus? 
In this part of Mark's gospel, here's what we learn. In the latter part of Mark chapter 4, it's Jesus who speaks to the sea and speaks to the wind and all of it ceases. Peace be still. He's the master over nature. In the first part of Mark chapter 5, he confronts a man with a legion of demons and Jesus speaks and the demons flee because he's the master over demons. We've learned that he is the master over sickness because he brought healing to this to this woman. And now we have learned that he's the master over death. Who is this Jesus? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who has made everything that has been made. He is the one before whom every single one of us in this room will someday bow as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this one who reigns over all, he knows this little girl so intimately that he knows when her belly rumbles because she's hungry. And that's a good God. That's how well he knows you. That's how well he knows me. Billions of people in the world and he knows when our bellies rumble. We can trust him. We can trust that kind of God to meet our needs. Some quick questions. Does that mean he will always meet our needs the way that we want him to? Not necessarily. And why not? Because he's God and we're not. Does that mean he will always meet our needs according to our calendar? No. And why not? Because he's God and we're not. But can we trust him? Absolutely. I go back to where I started. I think one of the reasons we so easily succumb to the devil is we look at what the world offers as more significant to us than who Jesus is in us. And somehow in our Christian journey, we allow that which first excited us about knowing Jesus to settle down into the norm. And when Jesus becomes the norm for you, what the devil offers becomes more attractive. And here's how we fix this. We fall in love with Jesus all over again. This Jesus who is the answer. This Jesus who works even when we cannot see his hand. This Jesus who is bigger than everything, who allows nothing to get in his way. This Jesus who meets our needs. We sung the words together. Behold our king. Nothing can compare. So what do we do? Come, let us adore him. Would you pray with me, please? As we bow together, we consider God's word. I want you to I want you to think about your own life for a minute. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand with me for prayer. We'll sing. Your pastor is going to be standing before you. I want to ask you first, as believers, let's just be really honest. Has Jesus become routine for you in your life? Let's just be gut level real for a minute. If he has, I'm going to invite you to come and take your pastor by the hand. Or perhaps kneel at one of these pews or however you do it here. 
I'm going to invite you to come and say, Pastor, I want my zeal for Jesus to be renewed. I want to long for him more than anything. Or maybe it is today that you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying and you're, you're ready to give up. Come and let your pastor pray with you that you will just keep believing anyway. Or maybe you're climbing a tough mountain. You're climbing it by yourself. Let your pastor share the burden with you. And then finally, maybe today you don't know this, Jesus. You've never come to the place in your life to, to confess your wrong, your rebellion against God. You've never come to the place to say, I want to trust Jesus who died in my place. And I want to follow him. If that's your desire, come when others are coming. Tell your pastor he won't embarrass you. Somebody will help you know how to follow Jesus. And I deeply want us to behold our king again. Would you stand with me as we, as we pray? Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for allowing us to see him in your word. God, I pray for my friends in this room, for any of us beginning with me, for whom Jesus has become just the norm. God, renew our zeal today. Help us just to fall before you in gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come as the Lord leads you.